Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and, and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to Science Rules. I am your host, Bill Nye, and this is the show where. Science rules. It's a call-in show, everybody. If you want to be on the show, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in. Uh, we, we want to hear what's on your mind. We want you to stimulate the conversation and drive us forward to a greater understanding of the cosmos and our place within it. How can we use a brain to know that we have a brain? How can we use thoughts to realize that we can think? These are fantastic philosophical questions, and nowadays they're put in a new sort of uh, electronic context. How can you tell whether or not you're really living in a virtual reality, some sort of video game created by, by the master over-director or something like that? How do we know that, it, that it's not artificial intelligence that's running our world instead of our what we perceive as free will? Perhaps I exaggerate a bit, but I am joined once again by science writer, editor, and even friend, Corey S. Powell. Corey, greetings. Oh, it's so nice of you to say that. Uh, Bill, it's great to be here. Um, you know, I'm feeling kind of philosophical today. I'm feeling, perhaps you might even say, a little bit deep. Uh, you're looking kind of deep today, too. Are you, are you feeling it? I'm feeling very, very conscious. You look conscious. I'm, I'm feeling so. I'm feeling aware. <laughs> I'm feeling my, my uh, philosophically... I feel more in touch with, with everything than, than maybe on, an, on a normal podcast. It's an exciting day, Corey, because uh, along with that feeling that I think we're sharing. I am feeling it. We are going to be joined by none other than David Chalmers. And for those of you who don't know David Chalmers, he is a professor of philosophy and neuroscience at New York University, and he is the co-director of the Center for Mind, Brain, and Consciousness. And he has by my standards, a fascinating past. Uh, Dr. Chalmers, good morning. Good to see you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. You're a professor of consciousness, but you started out in mathematics. Is that right? Yeah, first degree was in, was in math, pure mathematics. Got partway through a doctorate in math, or maths, as I called it then, in Oxford. 
Oh, because it's British. Yeah, it's a Brit in British in Britain and Australia. It's maths, but now I've gotten used to saying math, so I'll say math for you. Oh well, thank you. But something happened to you in the land of math that made you wanted to uh, pursue philosophy. Well, growing up, I was always a kind of a science geek into the biggest, most foundational problems in science, and there are problems in physics, problems in math. But I kind of got to the point where in the late 20th century, it seemed to me that a lot of the biggest problems in physics and math were kind of, you know, it would have been really exciting to be a physicist in the really early 20th century or a mathematician. Yeah, discovering neutrons. Relativity and quantum mechanics and the foundations of mathematical axioms or differential geometry. But then I was thinking, what is it that right now and at this point, the late 20th century is the thing we well and truly do not understand in science? And I thought this is basically the human mind and in particular consciousness. How on earth a brain could have subjective experience and feel that from the inside, that is something that science right now or right then didn't seem to have a good handle on. That is the big unsolved problem of our time. And at least for me at that point, the way to approach that problem was through philosophy. All right. So I'm thinking about Descartes. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can know, the only thing you can be sure of is that you're thinking, right? Is that... that exactly. That Descartes right? said, I can doubt everything about the physical world. I can doubt the bill is real. I can doubt the Corey is real. I can doubt that this radio studio is real. Maybe that's all a dream. Maybe it's all being produced in me by someone who's just stimulating my brain or something. But the one thing I cannot doubt is that I right now I'm thinking and that I right now I'm consciously experiencing. Now, we can argue with Descartes about whether that's true, but it's a great way of getting on to this subject matter, which is our the fact that I'm actually feeling right now and having a... I could be unsure whether Bill is really over there, but the fact that I'm having a visual experience of Bill, well, that's something I could be sure of. Could we then, to get, it to, to get at the fundamental question of consciousness, could we build a machine that is conscious? How would we know it's conscious? Would it feel pain? Would it like Roadrunner cartoons? How would... Is this, is this part of the question? This is part of the problem. Um, philosoph the problem. Philosophers yeah. call this this problem the problem of other minds. How do you know that any other person has a mind? With people, we're usually prepared to take it on faith. They're enough like us. But um, yeah, animals, are they conscious? You know, the one case we are all sure of is our own case. I'm certain that I'm conscious. That's basically back to Descartes. I know that I am thinking and feeling. And I extend that to other humans, because they're biologically like me, and they say they're conscious. But once it comes to machines, who's to say? And actually, people working on artificial consciousness are faced by this problem all the time. With a machine, you can produce some behavior. Maybe you get a machine to hook it up to a camera, and it's processing a red box in its environment. It can maybe even tell you, hey, there's a red box over there, and Neural networks are getting better. Artificial neural networks are getting better at recognizing faces. Maybe now it's going to be able to say, hey, that's Bill Nye over there. But is it actually having a subjective experience so, so of it, Bill Nye? Most so, people would say no. Well, Bill, you know, it's come to my attention that this is, in fact, a call-in show hmm. and that we have a caller. 
who I think may help uh, Dr. Chalmers uh, zero in on this question so that we can answer the nature of consciousness before this podcast is over. We have Keith. Keith, 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 where are you calling from, and then what's your question? I am calling from Springfield, Missouri, and my question is, can consciousness be manufactured? Oh, there you go. Can you make, can you build it? Can you build it directly? You know, what are the building blocks? Can you build a system? Okay, right away, are you sure they're blocks? Are there blocks of consciousness? Yeah. Yeah. Can you build? Well, my consciousness has parts. There's my visual consciousness, what I'm seeing. There's what I'm hearing. There's what I'm feeling in my body. There's what I'm thinking. There's my emotions. So you might think of those. Could you have a single sense consciousness if you just had vision but nothing else? I don't see why not. We had Helen Keller who who couldn't see and couldn't hear but still had the other senses. Could there be an extreme case, someone who could just see or just feel with their body? I don't see why that should be impossible in principle. We've got primitive creatures maybe just have the ability to sense brightness, sense light in their environment. Could they be conscious of that in principle? So, Keith, what's your business? Not that it's any of mine. (laughs) As in, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I work at a grocery store and play music. No, oh, okay. So you're a musician, and uh, and you interact with people all day. Here's what I'm. Here's what I was wondering about: is there's this mythic thing called a systems engineer? You know, I'm a mechanical engineer, and systems engineer are just seems to me just a crazy for block diagrams with this connected to that. This has to interact with that. If then loops and stuff like that. What I would associate with with logic, is there a way for logic to emerge? And then in the same way Keith has rules about music, you know, the three chords and rock and roll and the blues or whatever the heck, and then there's uh, something about octaves that are, seem to be inherent, then um, did, are these rules bigger than we are? Would they emerge from any machine that we built, would it all would they all be sensitive to octaves and logic and block diagrams? <laughs> Go, going, okay, going to the spooky theorem yes. and well, Bill, excellent question, Doctor Chalmers, <laughs> bring us back to Earth. <laughs> well, I mean, there's all kinds of emergent, emergent phenomena in the brain, and why do we try and you know? make as much money or be as successful as we can. That's not a principle built into elementary particles or even into neurons. That was something built into us by evolution. It was a basic drive that somehow has come to be programmed into us by evolution. Sometimes we can overcome it and you know, say, okay, I'm not, I don't want to make money. I want to you know, make the people around me happy and so on. But still, we're subject to these evolutionary drives. We Could we manufacture that? Which was the question. Um, I don't see why artificial evolution, people have worked on selecting artificial intelligent systems to be subject to some of these same rules. Yeah, it turns out sometimes you can produce economically rational AIs that, that you know basically obey the rules of rationality, of making money and so on, because they are the most successful in an evolutionary environment. So we could manufacture that. Again, would that make them conscious? All right, Keith. Keith, uh, what yes. what kind of music do you make? What's what's your favorite instrument, or what instruments do you uh, play? Uh, I am a guitar player pretty much in general. I'll 
from time to time, but guitar. But do you play acoustic guitars and electric guitars? Uh, specifically electric. Yeah. So there's something about that energy. This is what I was, this may be a stretch, peoples, but. Stretch away, Bill. Stretch away. How much of what we do, Keith works in a grocery store, he sells food. Uh, how much of what we do is driven by, for lack of a better term, homeostasis, uh, maintaining ourselves, getting resources, getting food, getting food and water, shelter, and then the whole reproduction happiness. Are artificial intelligence machines constructed so far, designed so that they have to get electricity or whatever it is, food? They can be designed that way. If they're designed through artificial evolution, then it's all a matter of what works in their evolutionary environment. Many of them are designed in, a, in the environment driven by big data, you know, a bunch of faces labeled with, uh, with names or, with, um, or images, like a picture of a car and then some information saying, this is a car. And then they get rewarded for getting things right. So they basically, you know, what's good for them, what's a reward for them is classifying, seeing a picture of a car and getting it right, saying that's a car. So these AI systems are basically rewarded, for, selected for getting things right. No, I want to specify this, getting a source of energy. Okay. Like, to, like we, food is our source of energy. Computers are generally are electricity. Do we have an energy sound effect here? Yeah, oh, like we have this. Yeah, we have. Hold on. There we go. That's yeah. that is good. That's the sound of neurons firing. <laughs> so, is there anything in machines that have been built so far that where they have to get energy to keep going? Where they have to get energy. So, to keep I think going. of some yeah. great science fiction where they try to turn the machine off, but no, it won't let you. And then it it zaps people, you know, and they they uh, they disappear because. Because the machine will not let them get in the way. And then Captain Kirk shows up and explains that, you know, humans are important. The machine blows itself up. <laughs> or uh, or the the energy beam is so powerful it cooks somebody in the red shirt and uh, just fries them there in, in a moment. And or the machine a, carries on. Or in a more down-to-earth uh, example, if I may. Uh in information theory, I think there's sort of a standard idea that in order to move information, you need energy to move information. Something something has to go from one place to another, and so there has to be some energy involved. Guitars in don't play themselves, people. Or uh, yet, <laughs> yet. But you know, the one place where this this is actually paradigmatic is the machines you see in video games. You know, in video games, every creature you see has an energy level. You are yourselves often playing in a video game and you have an energy level. If it goes down to zero, you die, you, you get to, it back. You have to get the, uh, land on the um, firecracker, or in the, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? Bonus medallions. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. the energy, kill some people. <laughs> so speaking of which, Keith, have yeah. you ever wondered whether or not we're living in a video game? Uh, digital simulation, I guess, is the word, phrase I would use, but... Yeah, I've wondered. So are we living in a video game, a four-dimensional video game? Wow, that would be really cool. Look, I think it's not impossible. This gets back to... I think it is impossible. I'll just tell you, because it's a non-falsifiable hypothesis. Well, those are two totally different things. To say something is falsifiable is to say we can test it. To say it's unfalsifiable is, is to say maybe we can't tell whether it's true or whether it's false. That doesn't mean that it's false. 
that would just that would just be a mistake to say it's impossible. That mean that would mean that it's really hard for us to well, tell. What, what it generally means in science, if I understand it, is we need a better hypothesis. Okay, mean if it's something is unfalsifiable, yeah. that means you can't prove experimentally that it's wrong. Many people think that's a criterion for a hypothesis being scientific. Mm. To be a scientific hypothesis, maybe you have to be falsifiable. Or practical. So, hey, hey. Okay, so that, if that was true, it would follow that the hypothesis we're in a video game is not itself a scientific hypothesis. I think that's absolutely right. right. Right now, that is not a scientific hypothesis. It's a philosophical hypothesis. It's a speculation. But, you know, it sure seems that we can't rule out that we're in a simulation. We could actually quite concretely construct simulations. We're doing that and put beings, connect beings to simulations. Virtual reality technology is getting better and better all the time. You can surround people by virtual realities. Eventually, they're going to be completely convincing virtual realities, indistinguishable from the ordinary world. So, we're going to be able to do that as a matter of concrete engineering. And then we're going to have to say, how do we know that isn't happening anything. to us already? Keith, look what you started, man. Nicely Thanks. done. And I think we're even inching toward an answer here. Yeah, this is what I had hoped to do. Okay. Thanks well, a lot, man. Thank Thanks you so for much, calling Keith. in. This has been magical. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Stick around for more science rules after this. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Science Rules is back. Right on top of that, we have another caller here. We have Levi on the line. Levi, greetings. Greetings. Where are you calling from? Hey, Bill. Uh, I'm calling from Springfield, Missouri. Uh, fabulous. And what is your question for Dr. Chalmers? Uh, well, I was going to say, how can uh, how could one even theorize that AI will eventually become sentient and uh, make decisions for itself? AI it's, meaning you know, artificial intelligence, if you're just tuning in. Mm -hmm. How could you... Artificial intelligence would be a machine. <laughs> is that what you mean, Levi? A machine that seem to have consciousness. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's essentially, it's all just a set code doing what we tell it to do. You know, so however complex it is, it's still just a set of rules, you know, the electricity inside. And, you know, it just seems like the whole discussion has become about what if instead of, you know, how, and at what point do we consider the AI to be actually conscious? Okay, okay, hang on, though. It, Levi, would you agree that you could build mm -hmm. a circuit, a set of circuits, where we know the rules uh, uh, in the wiring, but then it becomes so complex that uh, things are introduced that we cannot predict. And I'm not talking just about uh, randomness or chaos. I'm talking about a system so complex it's, it starts uh, 
it starts having consciousness. Well, that it's fundamentally unpredictable, you mean? That it yeah. has some creativity. Yeah, creativity. It, it, there are neural networks now. The dominant form of AI is learning AI, where you take a system that was just with random noise and expose it to an environment, and it learns things that, and starts behaving in ways that were not programmed into it directly. Can you give us an example of that? Uh, neural networks that learn to classify faces visually, that learn to recognize speech. Uh, AlphaGo, the uh, the machine that learned to learn to play Go and eventually beat the Go champion of the world. It knew nothing about Go, but it played a whole lot of games against itself, and suddenly it's smarter than any of us. It's doing things that we did not smarter program into it Go. directly. Smarter yeah. at Go. I'm not saying it's conscious. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He had a machine. He's talking about a machine that played against itself, so it got so good at this game called Go that it could beat the best human. But let me ask all of you guys: uh, Is it this? You just touched on something, Doctor, that I think is part of it. Part of consciousness is questioning things. Is uh, this game against yourself so that you get better and better at it? Is is practice? part of this and it seems to me when you're practicing whatever it is you're doing what do you what do you do you play croquet you play golf you're continually evaluating uh how your last stroke went your last swing and trying to improve is that part of consciousness questioning things i think i like to distinguish i think levi is really touching on something here i think it's important to distinguish intelligence from consciousness say and thinking about artificial or human intelligence. Intelligence is all about the behavior, how well you play Go, how well you can classify a face. It's all about the things you can do. Consciousness is all about how it feels from the inside. So these machines, they're using this practice, this learning system to get more and more intelligent, to play a better game of Go. But does all that practice and all that learning mean that AlphaGo is conscious right now? Does it feel like something from the inside? Does AlphaGo think, oh my God, uh, they're going to go there, so I'm going to go here, or man, how great that I won. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not. I think you know, right now, most people would be skeptical that AlphaGo is having subjective experience. So all this practice, maybe it's giving you complicated learning and really sophisticated behavior. Did it make AlphaGo conscious? Most people would be surprised. So, Levi, do you see what he's driving at? You at you asked the question, how? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, just because you see the face on the moon doesn't mean there's a face on the moon, you know? I mean, projecting your experience like, onto the image of the yeah. moon. I mean, we made that machine to play Go, so it's going to play Go really well because that's what we made it to do. It couldn't just stop and decide that it's going to go plant apple trees, you know? Well, here, let, let me see if I can. Because you mentioned rules, and I think that's also a really interesting part of the question. That if you had a, you know, you have this program and it's running according to a set of rules. Um, so let me flip that question around. Does the brain operate according to a set of rules? Uh, I, I'd be curious to hear uh, Dr. Chalmers' take on this. Are, are we ourselves uh, kind of a programmed set of rules? From everything we know, you know, the human body, like every physical system, is ultimately a giant mechanism whose parts obey the laws of physics. So neurons are subject to the laws of physics. Yes, they're very neurons themselves are very complicated, made up of all kinds of biochemicals, but we're gradually isolating the, the principles, the electrical and chemical principles by which they work. And as far as we can tell, neurons basically follow complicated rules and they're made of 
particles or quantum mechanical systems that do follow the basic laws of physics. So if someone complains that an AI system is always going to be subject to rules, well, the same is true for us. I mean, the rules weren't exactly programmed into us by a programmer necessarily, but we follow the laws of physics, and furthermore, we evolved. We evolved in certain ways, and evolution built in certain mechanical right. principles into us. All right, all right, all right. Now, so much of what goes on in my little brain is about, well... I, I can't wait to hear where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> what drives so much, you just dropped the word evolution, my, among my favorite words ever, is there something about dying, something about reproducing that shapes consciousness? And is there a way for a machine to need to reproduce and therefore would have to evolve or develop consciousness to carry on? Well, something about reproducing shapes just about everything about the human experience, right? How did we get here? Because our ancestors needed to reproduce. So, so there's got to be some connection. And much of what we're, much, many of the processes in our brain are ultimately there to optimize our reproductive success. So it is an interesting approach to AI. There are people who work on artificial evolution, take, a, uh, take systems, start out with fairly random systems in a given environment, which don't, which may not be terribly successful at the beginning, but then you do selection, survival of the fittest, mm -hmm. selection of those which are most successful, and then get them to mate with each other. People call this genetic programming. You can't, see, somehow you mate up the genomes of two artificial AI systems in an environment, and gradually, over generations, they get smarter and smarter, more and more intelligent. And in computing machines, you can do it in nanoseconds. Yeah. Levi, you really uh, started a conversation with your the key word, Levi, and thank you so much, was the word rules. That was pretty good. Right. You got us rapidly from consciousness to uh, sex and death. So uh, thank you so much thank for that. Thank you, man. That's we, philosophy uh, for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for calling in. You know, wait a second. We have another caller on the line. We, we have do. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Uh, let's see what uh, what's on Elizabeth's mind. Elizabeth, uh, greetings. Where are you calling from, and uh, what's your question? Hi, I'm calling from Winston, North Carolina. There you go. And my question, my question for you is: Do you believe we will ever be able to garner true emotion from AI? Like, do you can a program be capable of producing such an unpredictable human feeling? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Elizabeth, before we go, do you think emotions are unpredictable? Before I we rev so. this up, emotions, Corey, Dr. Chalmers, do you think emotions are unpredictable? I don't know Sometimes. what makes you happy. I don't know what makes you sad. So I'm going to say you're a little unpredictable. Oh, come on. <laughs> Sometimes they're completely predictable. I know there are certain things I do that are going to annoy my partner every morning. For sure. And we do it anyway. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's the unpredictable no, thing. No, no. If you give me peanut M&Ms, I'm going to be happy unless there's some extraordinary you know, I'm so full, I couldn't choke down another peanut M&M. Just a second. Elizabeth, yes. my esteemed colleague, and thank you for calling. Do you think that <laughs> emotions really are unpredictable? Or do you think that their, uh, their level, the, the reaction, uh, high or low, is what you're, is difficult to predict? Like, if you kick somebody in the shins, you, I mean, don't you think you're going <laughs> to get a reaction, Elizabeth? Can I test that hypothesis, Bill? <laughs> This is a, <laughs> I refute your hypothesis. Hang on, <laughs> I want to hear what Elizabeth has to say. Hang on, people. Elizabeth, go for it. 
<laughs> I'm sure if you apply certain stressors to certain people, but you can't garner the same reaction from every person you kick in the shin. That's a good point. Okay, I'm going to now, kick, know, both, I'm now gonna kick both Bill and Corey in the shins and see how they react. It, it turns out that, uh, that Dr. Chalmers is an experimentalist here. Absolutely. Of a, of a very I high believe order. you've got to gather the data. I'm going to purse first. Wait, Elizabeth, let me ask you a question. Would you want an yeah. emotional AI? If somebody said, here, I can I can make a you know, I can make a program for you and it'll interact with you and you can make it happy or sad. Is this something you would you would want or is this more of an abstract question? Um, it's more abstract. I wouldn't personally want it, but I could see where it would apply maybe in like medical fields for people, you know, interaction with other people is a big part of healing. So maybe what an about, AI that can understand and process what you feel could, you know, speak back to you and be there for you, maybe. <laughs> so imagine a robotic nurse. I'm not kidding. And then you would program in empathy and bedside manner. Is that or how far are we from that? Because, Corey, you have mentioned in the past. I have. Yes, that uh, when people first built this machine um, that interacted with uh, students, how oh, yeah. are you it, feeling uh, today? Yeah, Eliza, it was one of the yeah. very early sort of AI experiment at MIT in the 1960s. People are now working on this with uh, with robots. You know, there are these humanoid robots like Sophia, the robot who's embedded in a human body with a human face. And one thing that Sophia, the robot, is really good at is emotional mirroring. It looks at someone's face and sees if they look happy or they look sad or they look surprised and mirrors it, acts surprised and has tones of voice that uh, sounds sympathetic or questioning, depending on what's appropriate. So people sometimes have this, I've talked to Sophia and she seems surprisingly emotionally sympathetic. sympathetic. sympathetic yeah. But Elizabeth used this great expression in her question, which is, is it true? emotion like or is it just fake emotion look i suspect sophia is mostly right now fake emotion it's a few of the behavioral signs of emotion without genuine conscious emotional experience on the inside and when elizabeth says true emotion i take that to mean actually something which is experienced from the inside okay, as empathy okay. as happiness now as you know along with my Remarkable abilities as the host of a podcast. I've done some acting. Acting. Cool. And so when you are an actor, you the way to make it work, you want to get a rise out of the other people on stage uh, or wherever it is on camera. And in order to do that, you have, in my limited experience, you have to produce a form of that emotion in yourself. And sure enough, uh, when there's um, so-called business to do, when you have to get from this side of the stage to that side of the stage, you have to turn your head so the camera's here, not blocking the view of the other person or whatever the heck it is. You are producing, or if like Elizabeth, your verb was garnering emotion, but you're also running some mechanical things, uh, taking care of some business, as they say in stage, uh, in the background. So... When you're acting and producing these emotions, is are those Elizabeth, in your opinion, true emotions, or are those artificial emotions? Um, to me, it, it feels more artificial. Uh, something genuine, you would actually feel maybe empathy for somebody. You would have to feel like 
you could put yourself in their position. And I think that's what AI is lacking. They can, we can make them feel things, but they should be able to feel for themselves. When you say should, in order to have consciousness, they would have that, right? I mean, we're, uh, machines do what machines do. You know what I mean, Elizabeth? Give me some validation <laughs> that, um, that uh, to have this um, artificial intelligence system produce what we would call consciousness, it would have to have uh, real emotions. Is that right, Elizabeth? Yeah. Cool. That is that, yeah. once again, you have that's just you have started a great discussion, Elizabeth. I think Elizabeth is a hundred percent correct, and it's the same big problem of consciousness, um, genuine emotion. What anyone thinks of as genuine emotion is felt, experienced emotion. If it's merely the behavior without the experience, it's just a hollow shell of emotion. Okay, so right. why do we need to solve this problem? Why do we need to know? Because this is the most interesting and one of the most important phenomena in the universe. First, it's just a datum that each of us has about ourselves, that we are conscious. I am subjectively experienced. That's a scientific datum. It's just a fact. We need to explain that fact. Arguably, it's one of the most important facts about us. Consciousness is what gives our lives meaning and value. If we were not conscious, we'd just be hunks of meat. It's arguably consciousness <laughs> that makes our life meaningful. If we ever create AI and it's conscious, then it's a system we need to think about morally. If it's not, then it's just a hunk of machinery and we so, can turn it off so you're as saying, we like. So, uh, Elizabeth, thank you. You've started us down a whole new road, which we will travel for the next few minutes. Thank you. Thanks for calling. She's hit the nail on the head. Thank you. True emotion. So, so, so. Would it be unethical to unplug an artificial intelligence machine that would have feeling? If it's had true emotions. If it's conscious, then terminating a conscious AI will be like terminating a conscious human being, which is something that normally we don't approve of. People who eat meat terminate conscious things all the time. Don't okay, they? and this is where we get into degrees of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe we don't care as much about, say, a conscious chicken as we care about a conscious human. Of course, you know, your vegetarians and vegans are going to argue with this. They say if the chicken is suffering, then that's really bad. And, you know, I go to conferences about this stuff, about animal rights, and the, what it always comes back to is, is the animal conscious? There are debates Right now, going on, do fish consciously yeah. feel pain? Fish is and, a, and is what a, about plants? Yeah, plants <laughs> we, too. Where do we end? The debate is extending <laughs> yes. there, but if the fish is actually consciously feeling pain, then people think we ought to at least minimize their suffering. If fish are not conscious, then who cares? It's, All right, okay, it's this is a perfect time, a perfect time for a caller by the name of Jordan. Jordan is here with a question that is going to blow the roof off this whole issue uh, uh wow the roof will be yes. it's a sunny day uh thank goodness uh jordan jordan uh where are you calling from and what's your question hello um i'm calling from memphis tennessee my question is are scientists seriously considering ai advanced enough that they could be considered people and uh will they ever be advanced enough that they'd have rights as citizens or is that just sci-fi you know, Sophia the robot was, people say she was recently made a citizen of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> is, she, is she allowed to drive? I, yeah, I, I think this was a bit of a stunt, yeah, to be a honest. Bit of a Sophia, stunt, yes. Sophia has a very impressive 
humanoid embodiment. I think the AI program she's running is basic chatbot. So, uh, you know, What's she's a not- What's a chatbot for us? Chatbot is just a, like a machine that you have a conversation with over the internet. It's got some, you know, fairly sophisticated rules for answering your questions and so on. Some chatbots can be quite convincing. They can keep up a human-like conversation for, you know, at least a, for a few minutes, but no one thinks a chatbot is a genuine intelligence. It's basically following some very simple rules. So, so far, I don't think any AI is genuinely a person. And so the, no, but future. no, no AI, no artificial intelligence machine is going to get citizens' rights. But let me ask you this, Jordan: Do you think an artificial intelligence machine should have rights someday? I think if we get one that's advanced enough that it, you know, quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it, if it seems human in every way, then yeah, why shouldn't it be a citizen? Okay, mm. but just a second. <laughs> How do we know that it's the question is still whether or not it's conscious? Is conscious? Is that right, Jordan? Yeah. And so how would we, how are we going to test that, people? How are we going to test this consciousness <laughs> for citizenship? Because I've known a few people who seem to be citizens who don't seem especially conscious. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let's put this in more concrete terms. Uh, so, so, Jordan, if somebody told you, um, I built, you know, a thousand conscious machines and uh, they're really conscious, I'm going to let them vote in the next election. Would you accept the results of that? <laughs> would you say, yeah, yeah, they're, they're conscious. Everybody tells me they're conscious. They should be able to vote. Would you accept that? Well, um, did the person that makes the AI donate to a certain candidate? Because that might change my answer. <laughs> yeah. And so furthermore, how do you meet this artificial intelligence? Did you meet it? Let's say you wanted to interview these voters, these artificially intelligent voters. Would you uh, just agree to a Skype-style call where you could produce a an artificial image of a person who doesn't really exist who would tell you just what you wanted to hear about his or her wait, voting Wait, Bill, you're on, tendencies. To, you're on to a very, very interesting question. Does intelligence have to be embodied? Does intelligence, uh, does a consciousness have to have a physical form? I don't know that it has to. I mean, we have physical bodies, but we also inhabit, you know, we can also inhabit virtual bodies already and virtual realities where we, where we uh, hang out with avatars. Could it turn out that eventually... We just stop bothering about the physical body. Maybe just have a brain a floating in a tank. And, and then inhabit do we an... talk? Do we have an echo effect? Echo effect. Echo. echo. Um, but then just inhabit an avatar. Maybe inhabiting a virtual avatar in a virtual reality could be just as good. Now, maybe you'd say that's a kind of a body. It's a digital body, but just as good as a physical body. Maybe eventually we just want to do pure thinking. I love math. I want to just think about math the rest of my life. And then with my brain, and I'm just, who needs any of those sensors and the body and so on? Could there be a purely pure consciousness, no body, thinking about math? I think that's possible in so, principle. So, Jordan, would you be happy with a, with a, a, con, a consciousness, your consciousness embodied in a machine without a physical body around you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot I like to do in real life, but I guess if we could simulate you know, hiking or painting or something like that, then I might not mind. The Maybe virtual reality be might be better. way but You'll be able to fly in this virtual yeah, reality. Yeah, you'll be able to get go to blisters. Mars. No blisters for your hiking. Your wrist would never get tired painting. You'd just be just a perfect embodiment. But so this gets back into something 
Corey, you have discussed a few times. Why do people want to get out of the matrix and go back in the real world where everything sucks? Why not just stay in the perfect matrix land? Yeah, this is especially striking if you if you made the mistake of watching the second and third Matrix movies where you see what life is like outside the Matrix and like the world is polluted and people are hungry and there's disease and it's overcrowded and it's miserable. Like they were fine in the Matrix. Why was it so important to be free? Back in the first movie, actually, I think the character Cypher had to make this decision. He said, yes, I'm staying in the Matrix. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, this, it's, this it's, steak, it's isn't, cold, re- this steak isn't real, but it tastes it real. It tastes that's good so great. For me. That's good enough for yeah. me. So that's one philosophical attitude. If it feels real, then it's good enough for me. The philosopher Robert Nozick put this forward 40 years ago as a kind of a little thought experiment story. He called it the experience machine. Just say so you could choose to go into a machine that would give you all these experiences of a wonderful life, but it wasn't really happening in physical reality. Would you do it? And he basically said, no, I wouldn't do it. Most people wouldn't do it. That shows we care about more than just our experiences. We care about it, the stuff really happening in reality. But I don't know, these days, with virtual reality technology and kids hanging out more and more and video games and and in these virtual worlds, I think one thing we're finding is that people are actually getting used to the idea that they could have a meaningful life in a virtual world. And people have done experimental philosophy studies on this. It's a thing. Experimental philosophy. You do experiments cool. on people's judgments about these things. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I, you, do, you do experiments yeah. in psychology. I mean, exactly. So it's, okay. So, Go ahead. So, so we, ask philosophy. Pe- we ask people, would you step into that experience machine? And 20 years ago, people tended to say no. I wouldn't. I want to be in physical reality. You ask people now in 2019, the numbers are up. Many more people are willing to say, yes, I would step into that experience machine because we're getting used to the idea that virtual worlds are a reasonable form of reality. So, uh, uh, Jordan, look what you've started. Nicely done. Uh, We are going down yet another philosophical road about consciousness. Yeah, you took us from, uh, you know, could AI be people to could people be become AI, essentially. Would it actually, would we all prefer to be in in an artificial world? So, Uh, Jordan, thank thank you for that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Science Rules will be right back. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. Let's let's bring some crackle to this show. Can you bring some crackle? Yes, here's some crackle. crackle. No, that's not the crackle. Oh, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for this. That kind of crackle. Crackle, that's thunder. So what we have, Doctor, during when we hear thunder, it means there was lightning somewhere, Mm. which indicates it's time for, dare I say it, the lightning round. Wow. So let's hit the lightning round questions, Corey. Corey S. Pal, hit him. How many years until machines are as intelligent as people or as Bill's old boss? (laughs) 62. 
62 years. How many years until there's a machine that seems truly conscious to us? 65. 65. We'll be in in what season of the podcast at that point? Uh, We'll we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. If you could live in a simulation, in a virtual world, would you want to? Is it, do all my friends and family and loved ones get to go in with me too? I'd hate to leave. It can be done to your specifications. I'd hate to leave them all behind, but done right, yes. Wow. Okay. Final follow up. A follow up. A follow up, if I may. Can we ever run an experiment to prove whether or not we are, in fact, already living in a simulation? Well, here's what I think. If it's a, there's perfect simulations and there's imperfect simulations, which imperfect simulations give clues. We could get evidence that we're not in, that we are in a simulation. We could ask the simulators, for example, turn the Empire State Building upside down, Put how do, we, how do we get in touch with them? How do we do that? Hey, simulators, are you listening now? Simulators! Give, give us a sign. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I think the simulator heard us. <laughs> well, yeah, so if the simulator is monitoring the simulation, really, that could be enough. I, you know, hold up a sign, just shout really loud. They might be watching. But you may be programmed to hold up a sign. The simulator true. could be doing it to show to his simulo friends that that he can make you hold up a sign asking them to turn the spa- Empire State Building upside down and that he's really controlling you and you're not really controlling the sign. <laughs> I tell you what, if it's a perfect simulation, then by definition, there's no experiment you can do because a perfect simulation is one that behaves for the subject just like an ordinary physical reality. So if we want to get evidence of the simulation, we have to hope there are some glitches that our simulators left some room. Maybe if they made a simulation with a red pill, like a red pill, that's a giant glitch in the <laughs> matrix. Why would you build it a red pill so people can get out? <laughs> Will we ever have a complete and fully satisfactory theory of consciousness? I am an optimist, so I think the problem is a hard problem, but I think we're going to get there eventually. Maybe we won't have it in 10 years or in 20 years or even in 2095, 2095. I tell you what, once we have those super intelligent, artificial, super intelligent AIs on the scene, they'll be better at everything than us. They'll be better at philosophy than us. They'll be better at science than us. So I am counting on them to solve the problem. By 2100, I hope we'll have it all wrapped up. Oh, good. Uh, Excellent. We'll be in season 78 by then. Thank you so much, Doctor, for coming in and uh, sharing your expertise and your insights. Thanks. This has been great. We have been joined today by Professor David Chalmers. He's a professor of philosophy and neuroscience at New York University, and he's the co-director of the Center for Mind, Brain, and Consciousness. Thank you all very much for listening. Remember, when it comes to the philosophy of consciousness, science rules. Keep in mind, or in your consciousness, that Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer today is Andy Christens. The mixing and original theme music are by Casey Halford. And a special thanks, of course, to Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher, where science rules. If you like Science Rules, and I certainly hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. Thank you so much. Stitcher. 
I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.